Hey, Jay, have you heard about BustedTees.com? I mean, I set up our account and I've bought shirts there, so yeah. Just, I'm trying to do a promo. Just just work with me here, okay? <sighs> okay. Tell me about BustedTees.com. Gladly. They sell pop culture and geek-inspired apparel, accessories, and more. And their stuff is awesome. You like Star Wars, Jay? I do. You like video games? Yeah, I do, yeah. Harry Potter? Yeah, I do. Star Trek? Yeah. Humorous tees in general? Yeah, it's funny. Some badass socks, cups, hats, Uh hoodies, a bunch more, all that stuff? Why, yes, I I do like those things, Matt. Well, then you know what you should do? You should head over to BustedTees.com and shop all their cool gear. And at checkout, put Jason25945 in the discount code spot. You'll get a nice chunk of change off, and it helps us out to boot. That's BustedTees.com. Discount code Jason25945. BustedTees.com. Designs that pop culture. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Who has a mixtape? We do. Who needs a mixtape? You do. Who makes a mixtape? We do. Who needs a mixtape? Oh. So come on, now listen to our mixtape. Where's the room to move your face? Come along and laugh with our mixtape. Ha 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 So come on, now listen to our mixtape. Sing along and clap to the beat. Settle in and listen to our mixtape And now the music finishes Enjoy your pork chop sandwiches Hey gang, welcome back to the mixtape I'm Jason Emmett and we are about to have A really incredible episode here Uh, We've been teasing it for a while And you need to stick around because we also This one's going to coincide with another one We're going to be releasing here very shortly Uh, I'm not even going to talk a lot We're going to get right into the interview But this is Pat Fraley, and Pat Fraley is a voice artist, and if you don't know who he is, well, I I don't know how you don't. If you're a fan of the 80s, 90s, even the 2000s, you should know who Pat Fraley is. We're going to talk about it a bunch, but the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, he was Krang, he was Casey Jones, he was Baxter Stockman, he was Marshall Bravestar for Pete's sake, Denver the Last Dinosaur. Um, He does most of the voice of Buzz Lightyear when it isn't Tim Allen doing it, it's it's him. If you go to like Disney World, you're going to hear him. He's actually in Toy Story 2 as the voice of Little Buzz. He was on Tailspin. He was, I mean, the guy's done like just a ton of stuff. And not only that, he is amazingly fun to talk to. Please check it out and go check out Pat Fraley online. He is amazing. But here's the thing. Uh, not only are we doing this one that relates to the Turtles, and I'm just going to break the news now, we had the opportunity to sit down with Kevin Eastman, as in Eastman and Laird, as in one of the guys who created the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And for for Jason, for 12-year-old Jason, for 11-year-old Jason, this was like mind-blowing stuff. These guys, getting to talk to them is like getting to talk to just giant, large portions of my childhood. So... We're just going to kick this one off, and then, of course, you want to come back and stick around because, obviously, we're going to be doing the Kevin Eastman one. And that's not all. We've got a couple of other really fun uh, interviews lined up. 
and a couple we've already recorded, and they're going to be coming out too. It's they all came at once. We didn't just want to inundate you with you know interviews. Uh, and please check out the show proper as well. As we always say, if you have a moment, please leave us a review wherever you're listening because you know just do. I mean, because it's cool and we we love you guys, and so it'd be great if you did it. All right. Well, how about I go ahead and stop talking? And we kick off this special presentation right now. Here you go, Mr. Pat Fraley. This is a mixtape special presentation. All right, so we, we will we'll get started. Like We get to talk to okay. Pat Fraley, and that's pretty awesome. Like I was telling you a few minutes ago, my 12-year-old self can't really contain how lucky I feel right now. Um, you were obviously on one of my favorite shows of all time, like we just said, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And also on one of Matt's favorites growing up that he talks about all the time, Denver the Last Dinosaur. So you're like cartoon wow, royalty. Champs. Wow. <laughs> Denver. And you like trash. Well, keep telling me about the good life, Jason, because it makes me want to puke. <laughs> it's gonna be hard oh, to contain so my good. excitement, I'm not gonna lie. Um so just looking over, you've done like over 200 different voice roles, which is pretty freaking amazing. Um, so I think it's more like 5,000. <laughs> really? Well, I know you do a lot of, you do a lot of like, like main cast and then you'll do a lot of like the secondary cast on shows while you're on them as well, right? That's pretty well, common. Well, the contract since uh, the late 70s was uh, three characters for the prize of one. <laughs> Then we had a uh, a strike somewhere in there, and it went for two characters plus a ten percent bump for the third. So I never did a third on those, of course. You know, <laughs> but, that's, but when any show I did, I did three characters on, usually. And then, like I said, like when you look over your credits for like turtles and stuff, though, it's. I mean, you're, you'll see a little voice here, a little voice there, as a you know, not just Baxter and Casey and. And Krang, but you'll see you also did, you know, man number one. <laughs> so, I mean, well, you... that Jason, uh, Matt, first of all, I want to introduce Jason Emmett and Matt Brown. <laughs> that's us. <laughs> and I'm I'm left of Pat Fraley. Nice uh, but that's where Rob Paulson developed his, you know, his gangsta because he's a very high tenor. Yeah. And that's where uh, Bruce and Townie. Townsend Coleman, no, but Cam Clark got rock steady in bebop because our producer was so cheap. We never had a guest. So we had to do everything. <laughs> and that's where we got very versatile on that show. Fred Wolf was the producer. Man, I want to get all into the turtles, but I, I got to ask first, like, when, like, how did you get started into voice acting and how did you know this was something you wanted to do? Well, I didn't. I just was performing and teaching from four years old. I'd go out and play Army. They'd want to shoot me because I died really good. And they'd go, well, how'd you do that? And they'd go, okay, well, you arch your back and you drool a little bit and go say something like, ach, van lieber. <laughs> what if the American? Well, the Americans don't die. Okay. Then uh, later on, then I studied theater because I'm, I'm 74. And we had no uh, stand-up comedy classes. We had no improv classes. So a guy like me went to theater. So I did 50 plays before I did any voices on commercials. And I went to Australia to bolster my Shakespearean experience. 
boy, you talk about a weird thing. I once had an agent. His name was Star Castleton, and he talked like this. He looked at my resume. I was in New York, and he said, "Well, you're light on Shakespeare." You don't hear that, right? <laughs> well, I moved to Australia to do Shakespeare. I mean, other plays and stuff. And I'm in the studio doing a, doing a duck or Paul. Paul Lynn, I made a lot of money. I loved him. <laughs> so I'm doing a funny voice in a commercial. And uh, the producer goes, oh, we like you. And I go, why? <laughs> he goes, oh, you're so big. We can't get the other actors to be that big. And I thought, okay. That's it. Where do they have big voices? Cartoons. So within two or three years, I moved back to the States and I walked into Hanna-Barbera and did my first Scooby-Doo job. I, I never thought about doing a cartoon or being a cartoon voice actor, but hey, that's where they wanted me. That's where they needed me. And of course, I'd studied acting, so... I started getting hired a lot, and I won in when I had auditions because I cheated. No, no matter if I were a 300-pound Scottish duck with a list, which would sound something like this, you know. Hey, great day. <laughs> the reason I got hired was I knew how to act. I cheated. And that's how I got uh, hired above guys who did better voices. So that's the way it went. So I never, that's a long answer to your question, Jason. I don't know. So just like a willingness to do it. Well, you know, everybody that did voices, um, Dawes Butler, who was the greatest voiceover ever, was about 4'11". Mel Blanc, he looked like he was drawn. Mm. But everybody (laughs) was a failed something. Yeah. And so we went there. And in a way, I was a failed Shakespearean actor. I was exaggerated big, but hey, when they when they wanted to check out play, the pilot light went out. <laughs> I was no good. Because most people have to get more exaggerated, like Anthony Hopkins. You can imagine he's such a shy, quiet guy. He has yeah. to come up to a role. Me, I never got the 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 uh, note from a director. Pat uh, a, l- a little more. Never. <laughs> <heard that. laughs> my entire career was last, last, last. Yeah, it sounds like me in grade school. Just take it, take it way down. Take Just, it down, Matt. Take it down. <laughs> yeah, well, I got that everywhere I went. You know, I, I think I was beat up in school because I do impressions of the teachers. Twice I got beat up. <laughs> By the teacher. By the teacher. <laughs> yes, by the teacher. We had the Honestly, same question. Put me out in the hallway and beat the hell out of me. That's good stuff. So you're also in a, a real life GI Joe. The second one we've actually spoken to. Uh, we spoke to John Machida Jr. a while back, and now you. Pretty cool knowing that you were in the biggest cartoon series of the '80s. What was that like? Just getting getting well, roles like that. First of all, uh, everybody worked on G.I. Joe. Yeah, well. <laughs> now, the director, um, Wally Burr, was originally, he was fired from Hanna-Barbera as a director because he was so long. He'd keep us for 12 hours. Mm. Doing, uh, uh, and they didn't use all that. <laughs> he was the only guy, he was a voiceover guy as well, an actor, who would do uh, two takes on a slate. Just to get it right. 
I mean, he was horrible, you know. Uh, and so we all worked, and we used to play, Neil Ross and I used to play uh, GI Golf. And we'd have a line like, this way, Joe. And I'd go, well, I think that's about a par three. <laughs> go, okay. Sure enough, I would either par it or bogey with five takes on that line. He took so many takes. And uh, the, the funny part, I played Ace, who's the fly guy. Of course, he came with the, you had to buy the plane, the Sky Stalker, to get him. Mm -hmm. And I also played Wild Weasel, who came with the bad, the bad plane, you know. So you had to buy a plane. By the way, we were in the toy selling business, that and Ninja Turtles. Do you know, to this day, Ninja Turtles is produced by a toy company. We yeah. thought, oh, we're so good, and everyone knows this. And that. No, we were selling toys. <laughs> we had no idea. You're usually <laughs> selling them to me. We yeah. bought a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. So I come to a session, playing A's. It was like my voice. I was a little more higher, a little sarcastic, you know, like that. And so um, I come in, I'm reading the script, and I see a person's line, and they say, uh, how's Ace doing? Because he went on a mission. And she says, he didn't come back. And I'm looking for the script. They killed me. <laughs> they didn't tell me. So I died. Which is a funny story when we get to it about Centurions with Neil Ross and I auditioning and getting cast in that uh, that show. Centurions is a really, yeah, uh, that well, was a cool go. toy line, a cool line just in general and a really cool idea. I would love to see them bring that back, actually. I think it would do better now. Yeah, me too. I think it would be uh, a really cool did, thing. Uh, I think we did 65 or 125 yeah. shows of that. It was syndicated. It was more... In the 80s, uh, when I started doing Scooby-Doo, we only did 13 a year, and they re-ran them. Right. It was like cherry-picking. It was like fruit work. You were done. You started in May. You were done in June all year. Then He-Man, which I was not in, was Monday through Friday, yep. and it killed on the ratings. It killed them. And so everybody went to 65 episodes for a quarter, Monday through Friday, for a quarter's worth, and then they replayed, right? Now, get this. That meant we got about 500 per show or whatever. Well, when you worked at Filmation, and they did it like Brave Star, and I did a couple of the shows there, they paid the it, the reruns up front, so it was 1200 bucks. Well, you imagine, if you got a 65-episode show, you were like 150 grand. It was unbelievable, and we had a lot of work. Now, here's the funny part. They never paid that much money for the show. They go to a syndicator like Channel 11 or Channel 13. In those days, it was before cable, right? Right. And they go, how would you like to have G.I. Joe free? And they go, yeah. Okay, well, we'll trade you for time. So they'd get, what, I don't know, 20 minutes or whatever, and, and they'd sell that. To advertisers and make money because mm. in those days it cost a couple hundred thousand dollars to do a show a 22 and a half minute animated show so that's the way that all worked and that's where it went it, 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 like Tailspin which was a Disney show 65 episodes bam and residuals were good too yeah. Wildcat one of my favorite characters <laughs> let me tell you about 
but Louis is a rancher, but in Africa. <laughs> oh, look, there's a new item on the map. No, it's guacamole. <laughs> well, I'll get to that. Centurions. So, I get fired from Ace, G.I. Joe. I'm up in Seattle. There's an audition for Centurions. There's Ace and Max and uh, one that Vince Edwards did. I can't remember his name. So I go, well, I'll do Max's. He's kind of a cool guy. But I'll use Ace's voice because they killed him. So I send in my audition to an Ace's voice. Close my own. Meanwhile, Neil Ross sees Ace on this audition for Centurions. And he says, well, they killed Pat. I might as well do it. He did my voice. So I get a call from the producer who says, one of you two has to go because you have the same voice. And we're thinking, 100 grand? I call Neil go, come to my office. Let's work it. So Neil's a little higher. So he, I said, you go high, I'll go low. So I went down, you know, into the basement as low as I could. Power extreme. And Neil was high. We both got cast, and poor Neil got the uh, audition over and over again for months. Hire, Neil, hire. Because <laughs> I'm with the producer, Michael Hacken said, I'm in the basement, dude. Don't ask me. <laughs> I so can't go any Neil, lower. <laughs> he's in like Barney Five, but I was space. So that's that story. It's so good. Oh, man. The Tailspin's oh. another one where. If you were to ask me what were my favorite shows, I'd say, or things, I'd say The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, the audiobook, the best review. Money, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Tailspin, because of this. They had a hard time casting it because they were looking to make him stupid because he looks stupid. He's got a big, big prognatic jaw, and right? So I thought, well, I'll make him uh, innocent like that, you know, sort of, right? I didn't think about my resource, where I got that. So I did it, got cast, okay? It turns out that this kind of thing was like the deaf kids that I grew up around. Because my mom grew up in a deaf school. My grandpa was a superintendent of deaf schools. And there's always some... Well, a lot of times there's always something else that's going wrong with that. So if they were like this, sort of like that, well, if Disney knew that, they would never would have cast me. But I figured it out later. <laughs> now, so I get a call about 20 years later from a psychologist in New York and says, I have an autistic uh, patient. Would you accept a call from her? I'm like, yeah. To this day, I contact and talk to Morgie who uh, lives in New York, and she loved Tailspin. I send her stuff and DVDs, and she gets on the air with, or uh, on the phone with me because, you know, here she was autistic. So she'd go to public schools. That's where they had resources in those days. Uh, she'd be humiliated all day. She'd come home, watch TV, and after school she'd watch Wildcat, who she thought was challenged, and all the other characters loved him. Mm. Well, I tell you what, you know, I'm in the amusement business. Amuse means not think in Greek. But when you reach something like that, there's a whole meaning to what you do. Yeah. So that's one of my three because of that. 
That's pretty yeah. wonderful. I actually have an autistic stepson, so that story yeah. actually means a lot to hear it. It's yeah. actually my really yeah, wonderful. My nephew's I autistic as well. So. Yeah, so that, that, that hits home with a lot of us actually. Yeah, so. it does. Well, Joe Montaigne's daughter's autistic. It has my neighbor, Chris. He's autistic. Before Google, we'd be in the car and go, hey, what's the name of that guy? That And the other one, no matter who was talking, would go, let's call Chris. He knew. Because <laughs> he knew. But he knew everything. He was like Google walking. <laughs> and I've been around. My great nephew is on the spectrum. They call it Asperger's. Yeah. And believe me, you can't be. Uh, an audio engineer or video without being on the spectrum. <laughs> That's probably you have so true. much to do at the same time. It happens. <laughs> yeah, you know, before spectrum, we didn't know what to say. You're probably not too far off from that one. I were the littles. Was that filmation? Was were the littles filmation? No, I can't remember who it was, I but I, I played a turtle in that. Yeah, you were. Wow, wow. I had no lines. <laughs> I just thought, wow, you just whoa. got to go wow. It was like Denver. Denver had, by the way, uh, Matt, Denver the Last Dinosaur was a joy to do. It was a unique experience. The audition, Peter Keefe was the producer in an audition. And he said, Pat, we want a big sound for this dinosaur. And somewhere along the way, I went, no, we can't, because he's got a teeny head, and he's got a big body, but we won't see the body. So, wow, Chip, yeah, whoa. I did that. I said, look, this is kind of weird once I was cast, but I, I got to do this off the storyboards, and they were thick. Because he has no lines, I got to see what he's doing and who he's talking to. Yeah. And uh, so... I did the entire 65 episodes on storyboard where everybody else had a, a script because they had lines. It was a unique experience and a wonderful cast. My uh, cousin Cam Clark was in it. Cass Suset, you know, very good cast. So you got to work yeah. with Cam a couple of times then because Cam yeah, was awesome. Yeah, Cam was in Teenage Turtles. Teenage yeah. Ninja Turtles. So I'm, but he was... Dying to ask you about some of that. Like, I mean, you got to work with some incredible people throughout the years. And obviously, like, you know, Rob Paulson is sort of one of those heroes of ours as well. And you yeah, know. I sat next to him for nine years <laughs> in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. My job, because we didn't have an audience, everybody was like school desks, right? But I was next to Rob. My job was to make him laugh. <laughs> he laughed, I knew I was doing good. We got to the point where we'd share ad-libs. Like you go, that line of yours? Here's your ad-lib. <laughs> we exchange ad-libs. In fact, when we started, we could ad-lib anything. And they went, yeah, fine, better, funnier. Then when it got very popular, it was like union arbitration. Arbitration. We had to go, look, please, you know, the third one, we all okay, can't do that one. But once I had a, a line, it was, how would you like to be boiled in oil? That was a, a <laughs> crank. And I got a slip from Rob. And when my time came to say that line, I said, how would you like to be sautéed in oil with just a touch of cilantro? <laughs> and I got away with it. Because it's awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. So well, good. you know, comedy was king in um, Yeah. For a lot of shows and cartoons, 
We had wonderful writers, however, in Mutant Ninja Turtles. And once we went two or three seasons, well, we didn't have to add them because they were all really good. David Wise, one of the writers, was so good. But we had Bobby's World. And we, Rob and I, after that, and we ad-libbed so much that one day, the two excellent writers, Jim Stahl and Jim Fisher, both Second City, came in and to the director, Ginny McSwain. And Ginny said, I read the script, there's no Meeker and Smurd. Those were Rob and I, our characters. They were like mall guards. And the writers told Ginny, yeah, we didn't write them. And she goes, why? Because they ad-lib anyway. <laughs> and, and and Bobby and Howie Mandel's in the show, and he loves ad libs, so forget it. They'll just ad lib their parts. That's pretty wonderful. So that's what we did. <laughs> Got a reputation that precedes you there. Yeah, it yeah, well, follows that, you around. That's the whole thing. You know, a reputation. First of all, you have to have the skills. Like yeah. uh, Steve Martin, the comedian, says, Over my life, people said, How do you get into the business? And they expect me to say, well, you get an agent, you know what an agent is, and a manager. I never said that. I always said, and no one ever took my advice, I always said, get really good. <laughs> well, I was really good. <laughs> but that's not, not enough. You need a champion, somebody that goes, he's good. Uh, you can't go in and go, I'm good, right. please hire me. Plus, I came down to L.A. with my new wife, Renee. And uh, I had ten grand, which is like a hundred grand now, right? So I'd go to lunch with these guys. Come on, let's go to lunch because they work in the morning and the afternoon and have lunch in the middle of the day. And I'd have lunch with them. Why? Because I didn't have to serve a table and make money on the side until they thought that I was working a lot. And they go, "Why don't you get that Friday guy?" And that's how I made a career. Uh, plus, I got to tell you this. The guy who discovered me on this on in Tahiti, and I'm sure he said, "Look, if you don't do Paul Lind again, I'll, I'll listen to you, demo. Please don't do it again." So I go to L.A. He says, "Look, if you were here, I'd I'd audition you." I went back, told Renee, we got married, and within two weeks, I was in L.A. <laughs> and then I worked for him at Hanna Barbera because he was producing Scooby Doo for all the villains for a season and other shows, stuff like that. Later on in life, I said to Don, why did you hire me so much? He goes, well, you came with this young wife. I felt so guilty. Uh, that's why I hired you. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, that's a good start. Take it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it any day. So one of the other people you got to work with was James Avery. Uh, what was James like? Oh, Well, James was a really spectacular Theater actor. Yeah. When he did uh, Othello, when he did a lot of Shakespeare, he was wonderful in San Diego. I'd done a show before with him called uh, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestler. Rock and Wrestler. I, I played uh, Here Billy Jim. You know, he's just stupid. I never saw him. But I just did that, boys. Did Here Billy Jim. Uh, Brad Gare was in that cast, too, by the way. So James Avery got Junkyard Dog. So every line he had, he said, he would, before the line, he'd go, ar, ar. Right? was in the script, ar, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go downtown. Ar, where are you? So every time before he'd do a line, we somebody in the cast would go, ar, ar, and screw him up. <laughs> so I knew that he was a Johnny one-note 
with audition or with uh, uh, cartoons. So he's friendly. He's always mad and he's always low and angry. Well, that meant I could go all over the place because I was, you know, always doing scenes with him. <laughs> and then, by the way, I learned that in the fourth grade, talking backwards. Hi, how are you? Good to see you, Jason. <laughs> Matt. <clears throat> You, you laugh now. I'm going to be doing this later. <laughs> oh, I'm really going to love it. We're going to yeah. go to our wives. I think George Carlin used it when he went to the dentist. And he didn't have any money. And he said his stomach started growling. It would, <laughs> and it would growl, we're poor. <laughs> Gosh, I laughed so hard I forgot what I was saying <laughs> We became James Avery and I Krang and Shredder became the odd couple Of outer space <laughs> Because we were so dead We had great contrast So the great contrast and a good line We killed Yeah, It was it's funny here I'm sitting next to Rob I think I never had a scene with him Really? Never exchanged lines, <laughs> but he was funny. Yeah, it's. I mean, you you look at some of the cast people, the people that you've you've gotten to work with over the years, and it's like you guys start p- stacking these names, and it's like the who is of the voiceover industry. It's like you guys are like, and 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 everybody's still around and still doing it, and I think that speaks volumes. Wow. Speaks volumes well, of the talent. What? We had Barry Gordon. Yeah. As Donatello, and he's kind of a nerd. Barry Gordon is kind of a nerd. <laughs> I mean, kind of. He's a total full-on. We did Ninja Turtles, and during the time when we were doing voices, he went to law school. Wow. He had books there, and got a, he became a lawyer. Townsend Coleman, who played uh, Michelangelo, Calvonga, and he was a big pizza fan, he had teenage kids. Because he got married really early. Cam Clark is kind of a straight guy. In fact, Cam always jokes. I had lines like, knock it off, guys. Come on, we got to go. He was the hero. <laughs> and that's the way he is. So it was perfectly cast when you think about it. Yeah. We, we were that kind of person. And Rob Paulson is a smart ass. So Raphael used to come to the house. My boys loved him, you know. Like, I'd come out and go, hey, what, am I on TV? They go, shh, quiet. It's Mr. Paulson. <laughs> oh, thank you. But he'd come over and sing the country song, Acapella. <laughs> with Pappy, my eldest, he went to a skating rink with him. Well, you know, Rob Paulson skates like a hockey player. Wow. He's unbelievable. <laughs> He's from D- Detroit. So, you know, yeah, it there's- was a perfectly cast show. They're coming here. Um, I think it's like the cast of uh, Animaniacs. They're going to do that stuff live on stage, and I'm I'm going to be there. So, oh, yeah. totally. And and I know all those folks. Uh, yeah, Jess, Mark. I taught. Tress, I did a lot of shows with, and Rob too. So when you when you go, you got to go up to him and go. Pat for this is high. Oh, trust They'll me. They'll totally get it. <laughs> if I have the opportunity, I will one hundred percent do that. <laughs> They'll hit you and take your money. But they'll That's love fine. you. I don't have much of that, so we're good. <laughs> yeah. It's going to give them money anyway for something. <laughs> the oh, one yeah. about Ninja Turtles is great because yeah. Barry Gordon, who played Donatello, and I had done a movie with Fred Wolf, the producer. Fred was, uh, let's say, uh, frugal, or better yet, 
really cheap. <laughs> so we did the movie. <laughs> so I wasn't into Ninja Turtles. Roth was the director's last name. He had not only done the pilot on a Saturday, which is more money, but he cast himself in four major roles. Well, that irritated Fred, and he fired him. That was a million-dollar mistake on his mm. part, by the way. Not Fred, the actor. So he goes, get that Pat Friday in here. So Susan Blue, the director, had me come in, and I auditioned. I had no idea. I looked at the script and I said, Krang, an evil, bodiless, pink blob of a brain, <laughs> but funny. I thought, well, you know, you don't carry that around with you. So I just kind of put together the six elements of a character voice, which I had taught since Australia. Pitch, pitch characteristic, tempo, rhythm, placement, and mouth work. That's six. That, that's the sound of character voice. So I threw it together, sort of like fettuccine, threw it in the wall and what sticks you eat, you know. And so I did this, and I, I thought, well, I'll talk. I'll, I don't know if I talk backwards in the audition or not. But I did it. But I said, but funny. Well, I had a boy like this because he was, you know, like a little blob. He didn't have the automaton at that time. He's right. like a blob with tentacles. <laughs> and uh, so I said, but he's funny. So I want you guys to figure out what I did to be funny. You were destroyed. This is what I got for surrounding myself with idiots. <laughs> when you scrape all that off. They murdered you. This is what I get for surrounding myself with idiots. I was a Jewish mother. <laughs> I was Jewish say, mother always reminds me a lot of uh, Mel Brooks. Jerry Lewis. <laughs> I was thinking yeah, Mel, Mel Brooks, Brooks but Jerry we're all in the same ballpark yeah. here. Right. He's a Jewish mother. Yes. <laughs> so you talk like this. Good. Right. Thank you. Say grace for me. Yeah. That's so, so that's where I got the humor. Oh my and so God. I did all that, and I had no idea, but I got cast. Now, I got cast as uh, Crane, Vern Thompson, Vernon, and Baxter's, Baxter. Baxter Yeah. I said, I can't do all those. I can't, I can't, Vernon, you're going to have to give to somebody else. And they said, fine, we'll give it to Pete Renaday. He's the one guy we always laughed at during auditions. He was our during the show. He was so funny. Oh, I was a little scared. And I was the bird times. Go, go, go. And Baxter, they killed off early, so I had it easy. They had Krang in there. Then then Casey Jones came along, which was really easy because they'd bring in a design sheet and show you how they penciled it. I said, what do I do with this? And they went, just do a young Clint Eastwood. So I, hello, violator. <laughs> you know, it, it took off. It was that simple. It, uh, you know, it wasn't rocket surgery how we did cartoons <laughs> or how we do them. We just sort of get a notion and go with it. You have no time. You have four hours for a whole show by union ruling now. And then and back in the day, we did it in four hours anyway. You also, like you've done, I have a couple questions based on this one, but like, You've done Buzz Lightyear a few times when, you know, Tim Allen wasn't doing it. I know you, you actually did it in, was it Toy Story 2 that you were? The- oh, Toy Story 2, John Lasseter would call me in to clean up Tim Allen's tracks. He'd go, Zerg, you 
bastard you. Oh, I hate him. I really don't. I don't like him. You know, whoops, I did that in my suit. Whoops. He, and I had to clean him, but he used to call me Buzz Light because <laughs> I cleaned up his tracks. Now, Tibble was very busy doing his show on TV and this and that, so he couldn't do all the toys. It turns yeah. out he's one of the Disney's, by record, most toys of a character. Wow. So, now, this is a really funny story. So I figure I'm going to get 800 bucks every time I open my mouth. Every time they trade a big toy to infinity and beyond to a little toy. I made 800 bucks. Good. So I, I take the role and they make me agree to a favored contract, favored nations. Now that is a contract that says you won't get more than the guy you work with. It keeps from running away with contracts. Well, what they didn't know, the people that hired me, they didn't know that Tom Hanks had made a deal with Pixar to have his brother Jim do Woody. And I had signed with Woody. Well, when Jim Hanks' agent found out, his price went from 800 to 2700 every time he worked. And I had to get the same amount. <laughs> so, uh, for nine years, I did Buzz Lightyear, and I made uh, you know it was, it was about two hundred thousand a year. Wow! That I made. I'd be in Hawaiian vacation. My agent would go and just hum the money, uh, the checks for free, the song to me, and hang up. <laughs> and I go, Renee, I made twenty seven hundred bucks, and she go, Yeah, fine. <laughs> that's that's what happened. And I said, you know, along the way to the vice president of Character Voice at Disney, I said, I got, I got to meet Tim Allen. Because I met Tom and thanked him. And, you know, and the, the uh, Rick Dempsey was the VP for Disney then said, you don't want to do that. I went, really? Yeah. Sometimes he's not so nice. And every time he does a show, he says, why can't my brother do my voice? So... I never, I've never met him. Like, I just decided not to meet him. <laughs> I decided not to meet him at all. Smart move. It was a, yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't a marriage made in heaven. You know, yeah. it was, it was okay. Yeah, you and know, I mean, you've done, you've done like video games of Buzz and toys of Buzz, and yeah. oh yeah, voice at Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, and I'm still on that ride. A buzz's poke on something. Yeah, I've yeah. ridden that ride. <laughs> like I didn't know originally that it was you. That's that's yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to ask, as far as you know, doing Buzz Lightyear, is it is it easier or more difficult to kind of duplicate somebody's voice when you have like a starting reference, or like do you have to try to make it a little bit more of your own? Well, for me, it's genetics. You're eighty or ninety percent there, then you tweak a little. For example, I do Robert Redford. Now, when I did uh, Peach Dragon and narrated, first of all, I know what his thing is. I get the same dialect, right? I have the same range of voice. Uh, because he was attractive, that I, that I didn't have that. I had to figure that out. <laughs> he uh, tries to come off as uh, smart, and he's quiet. And when he narrates, it's like he's thinking. And that's all I do. And I the, I did it for the director and the editor and Doc Kane at Disney and said, it's the best impression we've ever heard. And it was really a great narration. 
and I didn't do anything. <laughs> I did. I do James Woods. I never feel like James Woods. You know, it's not like I jump into it. Now some people do. I don't. I just go. Well, I'm close. I don't even audition if I'm off. If I if it's for a tenor, forget it. I'm a baritone. Out of everything you've ever done, do you have a favorite character, or is there an opportunity that you had to voice something that just this was like that was the thing that stands out the most to you? Well, uh, I mentioned the tailspin, hot fin, yeah, and the uh, teenage mutant Ninja turtle stories. But I gotta say, of all the characters I've done, I really love playing Brave Star. That's cool because as you guys know from my work and what I've told you and the way I am. I'm a comedic guy. I'm a comedy, second second through the door, funny villain. You know, for some reason I go to humor. But Star was a hero, like Cowboys of Moo Mason mm-hmm. when I played Marshall Moo Montana. One of the only times I've been a hero, and I love Star because he was the speed of the puma, eyes of the hawk, you know. He was a brave star. In fact, when my boy was in his... Uh, high chair. When he was little, he was in a high chair. Brave Star was on. And I'd go, speed of the puma, eyes of the hawk, pee-pee of the wolf. And he'd <laughs> laugh and laugh and thought, oh, that's so funny. It was funny having a little kids because uh, I once did a on-camera, or I had a TV series. It was called Off the Wall. It was a sketch show, like Mad TV, only not so good. Right. And so what my boy would watch it and stuff. And one day he said, Daddy, go to the bathroom. I went, well, go to the bathroom. And I asked for a name. I wife, what's he on about? Well, apparently I'd gone to the bathroom once when the show started. He thought I did the show in the bathroom. <laughs> they had no idea what I did. And for years, what they thought is we just thought you did funny voices in the bunkhouse. <laughs> For a living. <laughs> they had no idea. Ed Asner was my neighbor. They came back from Blockbusters. One of them was really angry. One, Uncle Ed is an actor. <laughs> they saw him on a block. And here he'd been playing with his Emmys for like years. Jeez. You know, Kids That's are what great. It's like to grow up in a studio yeah. city, I guess. Kids are so I, great. I had, the, I had the honor of meeting Ed Asner a few years before he passed away. and Got to watch his documentary, uh, my friend Ed. Really, really cool, yeah. really cool guy. He so. was an unusual guy. Yeah. And by the way, to meet him before he's dead was a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably yeah, the yeah, best. Yeah. 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 He's, he's actually very not too far from me, surprisingly. So I don't know. He I told me his dumb guy. He'd make fun of me. I uh, we'd present awards, and if I said, and now the the following, and he would, he'd make fun of me. <laughs> And then afterwards, he go, "Hey, yeah, we're pretty good together." I said, "Yeah, like Abbott and Costello, really good, thank you." But he was weird. He was—he's a guy that found out he can make a living being mean or being grumpy. And so he answers, "Going, what do you want?" And um, but I'd leave his house after taking all this and talking to him and stuff. He go, "Hey, I love you." <laughs> How I met him, I, I should tell that story. The neighbor came over and said, look what they wrote on Ed Asner's door. He lived across the street, right directly across. They put killed Jews in the skull and crossbows. And so it was wiped off before Ed got home. 
because he was in Colorado. He was like, and the neo-Nazis had gone to a telephone and called the news services so they can get some press. Well, we laughed, Marina, because they kept coming by and missing the door or missing the kill Jews thing with a swastika or, you know. And so the next day, Ed comes over to the house and he goes, are you the guy that you got rid of the... I said, yeah, yeah, I'm the guy. Well, I just want to thank you a lot. And I said, well, are you kidding me? I don't want other people in the neighborhood to know I live next to a Jew. <laughs> and he went, uh, 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 uh. I touched his phone. And from that, uh, we developed a, a really loving relationship That's, between the two of us. That is one he of the best stories. <laughs> yep. He'd give me tips. He got, like um, once I was talking a little bit too much like an actor, like actors do when they do voiceover, right? And he put his giant meat puppet. I'm going, you're talking too good. You're talking too good. I'm like, what? What? He goes, listen. And he launched into Murder in the Cathedral by T.S. Eliot. And it was as if Lou Grant had swallowed John Gilgood. <laughs> And he stopped in the middle and goes, see, anybody can do that. <laughs> talk like people talk. And talk like people talk. When you, when you think about it, the most important thing about animation, any medium, commercials, everything, is to connect. And how are you going to connect if you're being a little formal, you know? Yep. So you give me good advice, too. A couple more questions. I don't I don't want to keep you too too late, but... We uh, before I let Matt get into our weird questions, <laughs> which we which we changed a little. Um, yeah. We 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 uh, we get to talk to a lot of musicians, so we ask some questions. We'll ask you those too, uh, yeah. just because we never know. But mm-hmm. I, I really want to know: Is there ever been a like an opportunity that for whatever reason you missed out on something that was like I should have had that role or I didn't go out for that role that you're just you look back and you're like, man, like that's the one that kind of got away. No. I never did. That's awesome. If I did, it was for a little time where I went, dang. But I can't remember, honestly. It sounds like when opportunities came up, you just took them. Yeah. Right. We had, listen, we had no choice. We never said no. Yeah. I said no to some projects that had uh, language in it or a circumstance. And I'd like to say it's because I was a Christian. I wasn't that. But I had little boys, and I didn't want them to hear me say shit or something on TV. Yeah. Because, you know, they're hypocrisy, heat-seeking missiles. <laughs> well, later, when I became a Christian, it's a different issue. Yeah. And my agent, no, it's no big deal. Yeah. It's no big deal. In fact, I remember I had something, well, remember the claymation thing, where they had clay wrestling? And oh, yeah. JFK um, wrestles. Celebrity Deathmatch? Celebrity Deathmatch, yeah. It was JFK uh, uh, wrestles Sister Teresa, and they're both dead, right? Right. So I sit down on the couch at my agent's office. I'm looking at the script, and Kathy Lizio, one of my agents, runs out and goes, no, 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 grabs it from me and goes, that's not for him. <laughs> it, was, it was kind and funny. <laughs> Well, we have sort of something that developed uh, naturally on the show, and it happened with musicians, but we decided that when we have other people on the show that aren't musicians, we have to ask them three questions, too. One of them will sure. be the same. 
but I let Matt take over here. If you want to ask the first two, we can, because yeah. you never know. So if yeah. you ask anything, you always cut it. You know. All right. So uh, the first question we usually ask is: Have you ever met or had any interaction with David Byrne from the Talking Heads? Yes, I saw him at a book convention. <laughs> he, and he's like, like <laughs> He had 20 books. I'm a big fan, by the way. Yes. Huge fan. He had 20 books he was struggling with. I'm sure they gave them to him. But uh, And I went, that's David Byrne. <laughs> it's sort of like seeing Barbara Streisand. You go, that's Barbara Streisand. Yeah. You know. Yeah, he. We, we've learned he just – we started asking that. Okay, so Matt will tell you I'm also a, a massively huge fan. In fact, uh, Talking my, Heads, Yeah, right? love the yeah. Talking Heads. My, my – uh, yeah, Great video of him in that giant suit. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah, stop making it's sense. Christopher Walken's great video of uh, yeah. Broadway Slim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, that video is so good. <laughs> yeah. It really? Yeah. Uh, it's actually my wife and I, our uh, wedding song, we chose a Talking Head song because it's one of the things we bonded over was the Talking Heads. But what we started did talking to people. This, did you get the CD of him doing the different rhythms, Brazilian and all that stuff? He does a has a CD. Of course, I'm old school. CD where he goes through all these rhythms in different songs. Amazing. No, but I'll be looking for it now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we yeah. just started asking. We his name started actually. It was an actor who first brought him up. It was Stephen Tobolowski, and yeah, yeah, and I, I know him. They have like a huge connection to get and. He started telling us this story about how David Byrne just popped up next to his car one day on a bicycle and told him he needed to come to his house. And so we started finding that people just magically ran into David Byrne. So we're like, well, we're just going to ask everybody, which yep. sort of leads to know. the next yeah. question. Who's met him? I had a story like that. As I, I drove a 1950 Buick for 27 years. Sure. So I have it in my parking lot, and I know Patty LaPont lives across the street. So this guy in a tennis outfit comes over and goes, asks me questions about the car. And I didn't know why. Turns out he had a 43. It was his first car. was a Buick. I said, aren't you Joe Mementina, Joe Montana? I said, you're, you're in a tennis outfit. You're usually in a coat killing someone. What are you doing? So I became friends with Joe over a Buick. Over a Buick. Jeez. <laughs> Might as well ask him. So, to, yeah, go for it, man. I'm gonna ask. The, I'm gonna ask the next one. So, this one is a little bit more likely, if you ask me. Um, have you ever met or had any interaction with Weird Al Yankovic? No, not at all. Oh, I was like, give him about two two more seconds, just like you do with David Byrne. <laughs> none, 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 because he's in a different world. Yeah, anything that has to do with singing is done at Columbia or over the over the hill and everything in voiceover was really studio city, uh, yeah. private, uh, uh, private studio, salami, B and B all these. We never, we never met each other. Yeah. I met a couple singers, but mainly actors like Mark Hamill, Carol Channing, Dana Laney. They would come into our world and be shocked because you know, they say if you told them do a Valley Girl to Dana, she'd do one. We could do sex, or the females could. We were like, yeah, whatever you want, we'll do it. Because we were never seen. They were like embedded with Belsini. Now Mark yeah. Hamill was different. He was very yeah. good because he learned to do 
uh, voiceover from doing the Star Wars BBC version. Right. He was excellent. Yeah. Excellent voiceover guy. Yeah. Still is. He still is. Yeah. yeah. He's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so now the third one, I'm I'm genuinely curious. Uh, this is our, our third usual one, but uh, we'll hold off on that because we got a couple uh, couple others that we put in specifically for you. Yeah, the first one we decided to kind of ask just for you is is if you could act any part or if there was a dream role, something you could invent right now, something that not not an opportunity you missed, but literally, is there anything you've ever said, I want to voice this thing or I want them to do this? I can't think of anything. I'll tell you why. When you do Huck Finn, which is 91 characters, dialects, 34 dialects, there's nothing left to do. Yeah. It's beyond <laughs> Hamlet. You know, I, I keep thinking, oh, Shakespeare, I should have done this. And no, I did Hamlet, Coriolanus, Othello. No, not I mean, really. In all fairness, you've, you, you know, you've been an alien You've been a dinosaur, yeah. <laughs> a turtle. <laughs> so yeah. I've, I've done sock number two in a dryer was my first <laughs> job in L.A. I think Al Oppenheimer was sock number one. Was I was going to ask who's, who's sock, who's sock one. number who got first was, billing. Was in it Which one of you got lost in the dryer, though? Because there's always one that, that goes missing. That was a 90. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done so much and it's been 50 years that i've worked so uh, i I don't think of uh uh, ever going to bed or thinking or not working for a week or whatever it is and gone gee if i only could have done that one that's pretty cool so yeah if you if you had the opportunity has there ever been like one person dead or alive that you wish you know if i if you had the opportunity you would have worked with them somebody you never got the chance to well, I don't know about work with, but Charles Lawton was a great actor and has a wonderful, well, it's, it was an album then, it was called Storyteller. And he did this whole, when I was in college getting masters at Cornell, the, uh, the voice person played this one track of him. And during the track, he took, it, was a, it was a counselor to a king, and I can't remember the king's name. And he goes, my lord, uh, everyone is doing what they want. And then there are the Jews. And the way he said the Jews, it said everything about the history of the Jewish people, the way people treated them. About 20, 30 years later, I got cast as the counselor with that line wow. in Chicago wow. for a Bible project. And I, I loved it. So I would have loved to have met or talked to or worked with G, uh, Jason Robards, plus Lord Richard Buckley, who never worked with anybody to speak of, <laughs> and also uh, Ruth Draper, who's the queen of the monologists. She would people a whole room by the way she talked. But just to see her or talk to her or anything, that would be something I would, that I would cherish. That's pretty amazing. I mean, I guess we get kind of lucky here because we, doing what we do, we occasionally get to meet people that are kind of like our childhood heroes and stuff. So it's, yeah. it's, pre- it's pretty great. It's been pretty yeah. awesome. I'm not going to lie. So, 
So we have. Well, I got to work with Dawes Butler and Mel Blank and Don Messick. Yeah, and all that's these amazing. Luminaries yeah. from voiceover because when I was nine, 1958, Rough and Ready show went on Saturday morning. Cartoons began. So cut to when I'm 30, I was eight then or nine. I walk into Hanna Barbera and I hear the same voices <laughs> doing other things. I got the tail end of all of that stuff. You know, Jetsons and Huckleberry Hound, all that stuff. So I was fortunate enough to get to work with these people. Even though Mel, Graham, Graham, Mel Blank was in his grumpy years, I got to work with him on a show. <laughs> so it is a delight. Yeah. Legend's a legend, you know. Tex, Tex Avery. Oh, Tex Avery. He was oh, the man. king of cartoons. He, he developed uh, the concept for the Flintstones. He yeah. developed Daffy Duck, Bugs Bunny. And he once uh, saw my wife, Renee, who's about five foot. I'm six one. And he said to her, you know, you look like a little red riding hood. Because <laughs> he did a great cartoon. And there's a funny story about that. He and Winsor McKay, who was an animator, they were over at MGM. And they didn't do the Tom and Jerry's. Those were Hannah and Barbera. Joe Barbera and Bill Hannah did those and got an Oscar, actually. Or maybe two. But they had the second lot, so he would do the cartoons, you know, Dex Avery cartoons. So they wanted to see all the girls. So they developed the concept of shorthand, Winsor McKay would do shorthand and call these starlets in, and they'd do eight bars of a, so a song and watch them dance. And so that's why the cartoons of Little Red Riding Hood and the, uh, all those girls and the Wolves would hit themselves with a sledgehammer on the head, you know. Why they were funny is because they would do a little and then they'd go into a different dance. But that, that was Tex, Tex Avery, who lost his eye to a, uh, a rubber band and, and paperclip fight while he was, you know, <laughs> doing cartoons. But he was a great guy. He'd go down. He was old at Hanna-Barbera. And I once, i got to tell you, there was a cartoon once with Willoughby the dog and Bugs Bunny. They fall off a cliff and they go 26 seconds in a cartoon falling. <laughs> every angle, every, you know, and it's, probably the payoff was is they skid and ran out of gas before they hit the ground, right? But I thought 26 seconds in a cartoon? Never heard of. So I called Tex at home and I go, well, how the heck did you get away with that? And he goes, well... We knew that uh, Jack Warner saw all the cartoons, and so we made the pl the thing uh, 52 seconds long. And sure enough, he said, cut that son of a bitch in half. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> it was like a union arbitration. <laughs> all right, Matt, we got one more question we got to yeah. ask him. Okay. All right. So, and I'm, and I'm curious – uh, for a, a second layer of this, uh, if you were a Muppet, which Muppet would you be and why? And a follow-up, if you could create your own Muppet, what would it sound like? Well, first of all, I'd be uh, probably the Cookie Monster <laughs> because he was the most irreverent. <laughs> and um, I don't have an answer for the, the other one. I'd have to see a picture. <laughs> see, I, I'm part of a collaborative art. I don't yeah. do anything unless I see a picture. And, of course, you'd have to pay me. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> fair. Fair point. Yeah. 
but I don't I don't have one because of what when I'm 74 so when uh, Sesame Street was on I was older so it wasn't you know my thing sure. I was more like howdy doody and you know the early black and white stuff that uh, is my era being a kid so really it's been fantastic talking to you I would love to talk yep. to you again one of the things we didn't even really get to, to hit on much is the fact that you you teach this now you you instruct other people which I'm, yeah. I actually did voiceover work on the side a couple of years ago for here out of Cincinnati I picked it up completely by accident and I had a little home studio at the time and I started picking up commercials and stuff made a nice little chunk of change I would have loved to have known someone like you was out there at the time and like taking classes in it God knows I could be doing something totally different today but well you know God has a plan and we fit into it Well, um, I would say that, yeah, if you go to patfraley.com. That's what I was going to ask. That's my name, P-A-T-F-R-A-L-E-Y.com. You're going to see everything. Free lessons, probably about 50 of them. And I'm available. And also everything I teach is right there. Yeah. And I teach home study courses because COVID and all that stuff, you know. I'm available until I go to heaven. So I'm more than happy to answer any questions anybody has on, on shows. I teach a lot more because it turns out you don't have to be dead to be a legend. <laughs> I'm on, yeah, Renee's laughing. <laughs> you know, I thought I had to be dead. No, apparently I'm a legend and I'm still alive. Yeah. Only for a New York minute. I mean, this was one of those things where I, I reached out to you and I told Matt that you agreed to be on the show and we've been geeking out ever since. Like, Oh, yeah. Because to Wonderful. us, you're a legend. I mean, you you yeah. voiced our childhood. Yeah. L- literally, you voiced our childhood. So, of course. Yeah. And uh, any questions you guys have either? It's pretty just amazing. Give me an so. email, and I'll answer the best I can. We may do that occasionally. Uh, yeah. We we've made friends with a few people, and I like to when certain things come up on the show. I like to ask, and then I can be like, "Well, Pat Fraley said." <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> And it's hard to argue because if if you say it, then you know. Rob yeah. Rob Paulson used to say, uh, "No, not to drop names." Dustin Hoffman told me that. Yeah, go ahead, and drop it. It's fine. <laughs> no, that's what he just did. He said yeah. not to drop names. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman told me that. <laughs> yeah, we drop names a lot, but I tell everybody it's not because I'm trying to. It's just I'm so excited that we got to talk to these people. Yeah. It's not like. Exactly. Well, you know, I got to. Well, talk you know, it's like having my best friend being Ed Asner. It's like I don't care. Yeah, yeah. You it's probably don't. From me. You didn't think about it like that. You just knew Ed Asner as a guy, as no. a person. You know. I just knew these guys yeah. and these uh, women, and you know, when you when you're Janet Waldo's boyfriend in Judy Jetson, how far can you go? You know. <laughs> we have been. I mean, you know, uh, Flintstones. You know, the bird that used to strap to the phonograph. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was that that bird. I'm going to talk to a union about this. <laughs> so I'm famous. You, you're famous. Oh, um, We've yeah. gotten very lucky so far on the show. We talk about it all the time. We're going to keep saying it because I feel like that's what's making us lucky. Everybody we have talked to has been wonderful. Um, I'm yeah. sure one day we'll run into that person. We're like, whoo, we talked to him. He was a, He was a jerk. But so far... It's never happened. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's a few jerks still out there, but there's not many. Yeah, we'll not in voiceover because what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. You you, yeah. you know you go go to a store and go. Oh, excuse me, um, 
I'm Dinky the Duck. <laughs> like so. It doesn't get you a table at a restaurant or a free salary. Oh, man. Like, we would love to talk to you again sometime down the road. We will. We'll yeah. talk again. Because you've, you've been fantastic. Like, this was so much fun. My pleasure. So we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, well, you have a blessed day. You too, sir. Okay, so long for now. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks.